Welcome to Games, Booze, and the Art of Breath Weapons. I'm Josh Kuman. With me, as always, is Ty Tepfer and Troy Weiss. Thanks for listening to us on the BOD Network. For more, check us out at basementofdeath.com or follow us on Twitter at Basement of Death. And if you like what you hear, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This is episode 38. Coming up in the show, we'll discuss the latest games we've been playing. We'll cover some hobby and purchase updates from the group. And then we'll cover the mechanics that make our favorite games. We hope you enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by Anvil 8 Games. If you're looking for a fun beer and pretzel card game, well then you're in luck. Frontline No Comrades by Anvil 8 Games. Their first release, Ethereum, is a BOD favorite, and their newest game, Frontline No Comrades, has quickly become a regular in our rotation. It's a screw-your-neighbor game where you play a Russian soldier trying to push your comrades into the line of fire to save your own skin. Loads of fun, plus the Soviet-style artwork is awesome. Pick up Ethereum or Frontline No Comrades at anvil-8.com. That's A-N-V-I-L-E-I-G-H-T dot com. Our theme music is by Fadeback. For upcoming shows or to check out some of their songs, visit Fadeback.org. Hit it, boys. <laughs> Hey gang, welcome to the show. Uh, we have the trio of awesomeness. Uh, we have Troy Weiss in the BOD studio with us. I am still playing and slaying. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, Tyson Teffer is also here. Yo, you guys know if the Betty Ford Clinic's still open? It is. It is. And myself, Josh Koopman. What? Uh, what are we drinking, gentlemen? I'm drinking the House Martini, and people should know what that is. It's always a good decision. Yeah, and if you don't, go back and listen to the old catalog, because you'll find out. For shizzle. Tyson, what are you drinking? I started with a uh, the classic college beverage of a dew driver, mm-hmm. Tito's Vodka and uh, Diet Mountain Dew uh, with some ice. But I'm ready to dive into a Revolution Brewing Fistmas Holiday Ale. That sounds aggressive. Ill brewed with spices. Revolution, our neighbors to the south in that grand state of Illinois. Trying to uh, clean out the the brew house of some of the seasonal beers. I like I like the uh, the sentiment there. Uh, my sister was awesome and got me Woodford Reserve uh, Double Oaked, uh, a whiskey bourbon. It's delicious. Mm. And uh, so I've been sampling that the last couple nights, really, and I have it again this evening. I've got a whiskey at at the house that I'm going to hang on to a little bit for you to try. Mm -hmm. It's quite delicious. Bill Bill got it for me for Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's a craft distillery in Chicago called Koval, K-O-V-A-L, and it's oak. It's um, 100% oak. 
instead mm. of any other wheat or rye or barley interesting in their mash and it's uh it's pretty sweet to start and it really mellows out but it's uh it's a good good single malt i like it so on onto the real meat and potatoes onto, of the yeah. show right <laughs> onto the meat and or potatoes Those are booze segment yeah we need a booze segment i mean we're games it is booze, booze. It, yeah, yeah. booze yeah in, in the name i guess it's relevant yeah totally uh playing what uh what have we been playing guys uh we my crew at work has been we've been motoring our way through time stories is that uh include neil it includes neil neil from work he's actually the main catalyst he's the one who purchased all the time story games and who we were able to coordinate and it's kind of cool because we just we meet after work right and and uh makes it convenient Although we played right before the holiday, people actually came back to work so we could play the game. So I think that's dedication. That's, that is. That's fantastic. <laughs> people had the day off. And I'm like, oh, we're going to play. It was between Christmas and New Year's, I think. We played one of the days between there. But people were off, and they're like, Mike and Mike and everybody except me. I was the only one working. They came back to work, and we played. That was that week we uh, we got together at the 42 Ale House to play Scythe, right? Um, yeah. Yep. The same week. Yep. Nice. It was good. So I'm plan we are on under the mask okay um having Egypt. fun we fin- finished don't see this is the thing oh. i think you know under the mask come on but you, it no, has a picture of can't. like a pharaoh no this is what i get to, i i believe that anything you say about time stories games is a spoiler including the title or even look at like we did not even look at the picture of the box because we don't now again I knew the same thing it wasn't hard to know that under we the mask happens we but, got a fucking time story truther oh, oh, I did over it. here oh, yes and he's hitting he's hitting the microphone <laughs> I'm upset that's why every time I because I, I I was listening to some other podcast and they like went I think anything you say about like Marcy Case I went into Marcy Case without knowing anything I thought that was the coolest thing in the world again you have to play it. But that first scene when you go into Mars Case, if you don't know what it's about, it's just like, oh, this is totally cool. And um, I can't think, what's the third one? Or what's, yeah. Prophecy of Dragons. Prophecy of Dragons. We can't Again, say the name, though. I'm yeah, afraid to say anything yeah. about it. There's not a dragon in it. It's Drassens, <laughs> actually, if you look on the box. It's Drassens. It's kind of so cute. No? All right. All right. Um, just look at the font. Um but uh, you so you can take a guess, but I'm really like I think people should not even like try as hard as you can to not even know anything about the different scenarios going in because I think it really helps. So you close your eyes while you're opening the box. Yes, exactly. And then until you hit that experience, and you're all experiencing it together, and, and you get through. So sorry, that's my rant on time stories. I love that it's great, but I really it's really hard not to talk about. But I think it's yeah. really worth not talking about it. And if you're gonna play it, I think try to avoid any kind of even like what's the theme of the expansion i think it really just gives it a, a boost well i know my new hobby is going to be not talking about time stories nope i'm going to find all the spoilers i can about all the time stories and send troy secret emails <laughs> there's, from- there's a subreddit <laughs> is there yeah there's a lot on time stories on reddit i'm going to send you a whole bunch of huh, secret that's emails. why my our goal is to have them all played so that we're not behind so yeah, that i can't get spoiled <laughs> and i i actually got time stories to the table recently had a game night with Nicole and Paul and Jen, and we sat down and played just the base game, <laughs> our second second play before an epic Nerf war. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. Excellent. What else, Troy? You, you yeah. appear to have been playing a few things. Um. So last weekend, I finally got John came over 
and Ashton and uh, I'm like I was I wanted to play something I'm like I'm gonna get this game that I've had for year I don't know year and a half I don't know when this game came out uh, Assassin Arm Execution Force from GW the box game that had all the assassins in it yeah, I've, I've just modeled the assassins. The rest is still on sprue. I haven't opened any of the cards, the game tiles. It's all in the box. So I hadn't even done. So I, I quickly, basically, I decided this at like the like two hours before they were showing up. And I, so I'm like, <laughs> I need to build. And I had a couple assassins um, on the shelf, but I needed to build. So I built two of them why they waited for them to get there and then we played it but that's a fun game it's a good game like people have kind of said that mm-hmm. it's a really good co-op um it was it came right down to the end it's got a time clock to it i i think as a as a as a fun co-op with again if you have miniatures to to throw on there um the boards you know excellent like all those gw box games the components are amazing um but it, it was really fun um it Reminded me of, um, God, I should find it. It's really kind of a fortress in, you know, you go in and you're setting off alarms um, and the guards are walking around and you're trying to sneak through. And, and I think the rules, the AI plays really good. To, it's it's kind of Metal Gear Solid-ish. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. And there was a game that Mike Hall's, we played way back a few years ago where it was like a World War II where you went into a thing. I'm looking at Ty because I think you were there. We did. You remember that way, way back. And I wish mm-hmm. I could remember that game. But very similar um i just thought the ai played good i was worried that the ai might you know the rules of the ai might be a little wonky I, it all played made sense it got we lost one one of the assassins got killed we came down i think we finished it with one turn to go uh, to get the big guy so i um that, i think that may be something we bring out again because it and it has pretty you know kind of a short time period you're playing 15 turns or something like that so it doesn't take forever so it was good. So it exceeded expectations because with those boxings, sometimes you're like, is it just for the miniatures? Right. And like like Ty, you said a lot of people have it and they've never cracked open the game. So it's like. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the price point was hard to beat because they're selling mm-hmm. the assassins for $30, $35 each in the blister. <laughs> and the game was 125 and, right, and if you got, got it off like um, miniature market or something like that, you're getting it for about $100. So it was a, a win-win. Yeah. Um, and then with just getting past Christmas, people back in town, Matt and Elena were in town for, uh, over the Christmas break through new years. So we got a lot of other games in and it was really cool. I, I got over to Matt's parents' house and went downstairs and Tom, uh, Matt, Elena, and Nathan were playing mm. Omega virus. <laughs> um, just a classic throwback yeah. and, uh, where you're cooperative, but yet you're still conscribed. And I heard, you can't stop me. <laughs> and I was like, no way. <laughs> they busted off one of the shells downstairs, Omega Virus, from the the early 90s. Yep, I right. Think. Yep. Um, and then that started our scythe binge. Mm-hmm. We, we played several times. Um, and I recently had picked up the, the expansion, knowing that we were going to have some nights with six or seven people. I picked up the. Um, I think it's Travelers from Afar, or Invaders from Afar, um, which adds players six and seven, two new factions and a couple of new uh, industry-type boards. Um, And we sat down and played with six people. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, your area is more compact. You don't reach out across the board. kind of limits that interaction. Nobody's real willing to get out there and be aggressive because the the backlash from all these other players. So... 
it was interesting. The victory point totals were a lot higher than the mm. um, fewer player games because everybody builds up so much. I think we played in all six of us or five of the six were in the highest popularity mm. amount and everybody was four five six milestones at about the same and it just seemed to scale really weird we had some really high point totals yeah people were a little leery to try to end the game because they didn't know well they i think especially like like ty was saying you know the the uh combat uh victory point like People didn't want to do a whole lot of combat mm-hmm. because their neighbor was going to get them, you know. It's, yeah, it seemed like people were scaling up and winning. Like, the, the game took a little bit longer, and it was a little bit slower build, I guess. So, But, yeah, no, it was good. Um, yeah. It was an interesting uh, way to play the game because, it, yeah, it, it seemed almost a little different than, you know, like a three-player yep. game or four-player yeah, game. Yeah, because I imagine it's harder to just look across and see who's a threat and who's going to, right? Because, like, we played three-player. It was fairly easy to tell, like, okay, if I do this, I can look. Oh, Ty's got so much. Is What's the glory? Yeah. Like, power. Yeah. yeah, you have so much power or whatever. You can assess who's got, you know, what kind of trouble you're in quickly. Yeah. I imagine with five other players, it's be much harder to, like... Assessing oh, the board yeah. state and, and the point to, like, doing the math becomes that much uh, more complicated. Um, I think it, it, it didn't overcomplicate the game, though. It turned mm-hmm. still went snappy. We, we had yeah. a couple of new players, um, and it only added maybe a half hour to what the four-player game mm-hmm. games that I've played have been. So uh, it, it, was, it was really cool. I think the expansion works. Um, it would be nice to have the board extension because you do feel a little mm-hmm. on the smaller board. You feel just a little cluttered. Yep. There's so much on the board, um, but it was really fun. And then played a couple of smaller player count games too, and had one where we were playing three people, and I just rushed with Germany. <laughs> I, I, I forget what their name yep, is. Yep. They're like the Germans. <laughs> And I had the engineering, and I just rushed my six objectives out there. Barely got into the second popularity tier, and won with forty-four points. Right. So a real low point score total, but sprinted Pushed to the up, finish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we'd we'd play with Mike. It was interesting. He he actually didn't really like it, which was surprising a little bit because most people we've introduced it to, right? Like it. Um, and so it was good. Interesting to get his his opinion on whatever. Right? I think he just thought there was so much going on. Um, with the choices to think that it wasn't his his cup of tea, so that so so just in you know, full disclosure, not everyone loves it, but mm-hmm. most people do. <laughs> yeah, number number seven currently on Board Game Geek overall. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty solid, pretty solid game. Um, and then you, we definitely played uh, a few random smaller games uh, while Matt was in town, Matt and Elena. Um, Barry brought over a game called Santorini. Um, and it's like an older game that they redid, I think. Um, cause I saw like an older version where it was just like blocks, mm. um, on, online. So I don't know if it was like, I don't know. Anyway, um, it, the, the version that Barry had was, um, I think the new Kickstarter, it's the version. new Kickstarter version, right? I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was like actual molded plastic. Um, mm. and it was, it was really fun. Um, it, it's definitely got kind of a chess type, you know, like um, you're, you're building the tower up and you need to get to the top of the tower, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it, it, you each have two guys and 
uh, you're trying to basically combat each other. Um, you're trying to build the tower and get to the top of the tower for a turn. And um, it, basically, the, your opponent is trying to stop you from doing that while trying to do the same thing. So, And you only have a certain amount of space to work with, and you can't go through certain things. And I, it, I, I'm not explaining it very well, but it's, it's definitely like... A, Somebody does one thing, and then there's a counter, and then you have to kind of yeah, outmaneuver your opponent. It has the feel of if, if you took like tic-tac-toe into a chessboard in yeah. 3D. And what was cool, the the components of the, the new Kickstarter, because yeah, it was a re- reimagining of a 2004. Okay, that's what uh, it was. Really ab- the, the old one, though, is really abstract, and yeah. this is a little more um, easier to wrap your wrap your head around. But based on the Greek island of Santorini with the cliffside and, like, the board itself has that plastic cliff. And then the buildings are all the white plastic to match the white buildings of the Greek with island. The, with, with the, the blue, blue dome, dome on roof. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it definitely looks cool. And it plays quick. plays 15 minutes mm-hmm. um, to 15, 20 minutes. It's just a quick heads up. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a fun game. And it's very eye-appealing. Like, while you're playing, um, you know, the... Each each of the buildings is getting built up, and when you dome one of them, it, it really looks nice. Like having that completed building is cool. So that looks very cool. Is it in retail yet, or is it only the Kickstarter? I'm not sure. Yeah, very soon, if if not already. Okay. Um, I think the Kickstarter shipped a, a month or two ago. It looks like it's about well, who knows? It's going to be retail. It looks like maybe fifty, sixty something retail. Looks cool. Looks cool. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's definitely a. It would be. I don't want to say it's like an entry level game. I don't want to downplay it because I think there's a lot of strategy and and depth to it. But it's very accessible. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're in essence you're making a move, building, making a move, building. There's you can play much more uh, depth with the roles. They have the different cards you can take where you open up different actions mm-hmm. um, if, if you want to dive deeper into it. But yeah. Yeah, we just played the the straight up uh, base game without the action or without the bonus cards or whatever they're called. Um, but yeah, definitely fun, fun, fun game. And um, I think the same night or one of those other nights, uh, Matt had gotten Barry a copy of Kalis, the old Rio Grande games, um, classic Euro mm-hmm. where you're building the king's castle by taking actions down the road in the village. And it was it was pretty heavy, and about halfway in, we were just kind of lost lost steam and called it probably two thirds of the way through because we weren't feeling a, a real meaty, you know, <laughs> crunchy euro, but uh, a classic, you know, stand standby in the euro games, um, which segues neatly in the what else I've been playing. <laughs> we started our odd Thursdays, as we're calling it, board game night. Um, with Barry and Becky, and uh, we're gonna do a rotating every every Thursday with an odd number. Play play board games. Next game night is gonna be Scythe. Um, but we played Agricola for our first one, and I'd actually never played. And you want to talk about a classic Euro? Kind of the, I'd say that was the start of the hobby board game, tabletop gaming. I think 2007. Uwe Rosenberg, prolific designer. So it was it was fun. Um, Heavy euros aren't always my style, but we we sat down and uh, built our farms. I had a big <laughs> wild boar pen that got me the victory. Heavy euros about farming are not my style. 
and uh, they they knew the golden rule. They let me win. So the first time playing it, I like. <laughs> oh, it a lot so more. then he'll <laughs> then he'll talk about it better. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I don't think that'll work with me. I don't know. Yeah, but that was fun. Um, we've been doing some miniature gaming too, Troy. That was at your place. Yeah, we actually had an old school Age of Sigmar night where we got four of us together, a couple games going, two tables, and then we played. We played, yeah, right. Two. We did a two team games. game. Yeah, we did games. a team game after the first. Yeah, we each had a thousand points, like Vanguard, um, for Age of Sigmar. That was my first Age of Sigmar game. Um, so Eric was nice and helped me fumble through some of the rules and stuff, um, and it was fun. It was. It took. I mean. It's always something to read rules. It's always that first time to like put them in the board and do stuff, and and it was good. It's good to play in that environment too because I could just yell across the room and like, "Hey, can we do this?" And Ty and Tommy or somebody's like, "No, you can't do this," or "Yes, you do this," or yeah, that's how it works. I think a lot of it was like Age of Sigmar. It's so simple. I was in this like I was kind of like, really, I can do this, or really, I can just go and shoot, or really, I can shoot through. (laughs) Like it's nice as there's not like a million different. restrictions and i mean the the whole thing is there are combos and things like that but it was just very felt really streamlined from the actual rule set and and you're like i can just move and do this and yep you can yeah so um i can see why people really like that the rule set i mean i think gw did a nice job of building the a solid simple base and then you you know the different units and scrolls and everything add that's where the complexity and the strategy and everything kind of comes to place but even the basic rules have the um the random turn order is a big cool. I mean, I think that's a cool. At first, I looked at it, I'm like, that's really role. weird. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. But and what got me is there's a really good article on Frontline Gaming about it that got me that that, that kind of got my mindset like, oh, I understand. Like this is a real strategic part of the game. It's mm-hmm. not like this random like screw you over part. I think that's where initially people might see that. Um, you got to prepare for it. You so prepare you can't for overcommit it. because if you overcommit and get caught with your pants down when the opponent gets initiative for that next yep. turn, it hurts, and it hurts big time because it's not forgiving. It's yep. Armor saves aren't as good. Um, it's real easy to get some wounds on the table, and you start to see your army dwindle, and yep. there's there's playing for that double turn. I mean, that's yep. their whole army is built around round. the premise that you want to get that double turn and wipe your opponent mm-hmm. in round two. I mean, it's, it's a valid tournament you know, tournament winning strategy that's out there. Yep. And do you, and then the whole thing along, do you want to control the turn order or do you want to kind of push for that chance to get the double turn? What, what's the, I I think that's pretty cool. Well, cause there's a, there's a cast list where you bring Kairos fate weaver who can once per game Mm. change the result of any die roll. (laughs) So there's a chaos list that is revolves around that you almost guarantee yourself a double turn. Right. You There's only one way you can't, if you roll a one and your opponent rolls a six, you can't win. You get enough. Because you tie, and then if you went last, last it, you like switch right, order. Right, so yep. there's a one in 36 chance. But I mean, it's a premise that's awesome. Yep. I love it. And then Eric and Troy played on the one table, and Tom and I beat each other up on the other table. Yep. Brother mm-hmm. versus brother. It's like... <laughs> Horse heresy and Age of Sigmar table. <laughs> Did you uh, you get some combat patrolling? And then uh, yeah, fresh. Like Fre- before I came here, 
Oof. I was in the old. Um, yep, I smell the forty k on him. <laughs> at a game store, I went over. I went over and played just a quick. They got a um, one of the the hobby towns is just doing trying to do a, a small little Wednesday combat patrol, a little bit of a league. Good turnout. Yeah, uh, no, no, just me. And so what's good is you kind of emailed like who's going to be there. So I ended up playing Brian, who's one of the store manager over there, because he really wanted to play, and he hadn't played forty k in. A couple of years, not a lot, and whatever. So it was a good, um, but he has a bunch, a lot of stuff to play. So we just played a quick, quick combat patrol. I brought some Necrons because um, it, it was trying to figure out. I think now Necrons are viable in the combat patrol scenario. Before, in the old Codex, they weren't because they just didn't have enough troop uh, choices to get there. So that was good. He took, he had Death Watch guys, okay. which were crazy. I mean, there's a million crazy rules, but. They're expensive, and so there wasn't. A, doesn't he didn't have a high model count? So my and I didn't. I didn't bring a crazy list either. But I had my Lich Garden with me, or Lynch, whatever they are, the crazy three up, three up guys, and they they did some work, and that was kind of the the game. <laughs> yeah, we, Combat Patrol is such a good format. What's cool too, the the new kill team rules. I've been tempted every time I'm in at GW for my weekly, if not mm. twice weekly, stop in there. Hmm. I've been thinking about buying it. They just started up a Friday um, kill team league mm. at, at the games work, local games workshop. I have just been so tempted to <laughs> you mean to do that. You mean the one that's like a block from your house? Yeah, across yeah. the street. It's so dangerous. <laughs> so dangerous. But I think that's half the reason you you moved there. It was a big selling point. Yeah. I mean, I went to the yeah. open house, and after that, stopped at games workshop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was good. So it was good because I hadn't played cool. 40k in a little bit. We've been we've been kind of digging in the Age of Sigmar stuff, but yeah, we'll have to. My uh, my 30k kill teams getting getting closer. I'm ready to destroy some world eaters. Oh yeah, I got put they they got put behind the queue behind the Sylvaneth, but yeah. probably um, probably okay. I don't. I I have one big news announcement too. We, we don't need have a drum segment, so. Yeah. We either need chips in a bowl or a drum roll or something. <laughs> chips in a bowl. Um, our our mage game added a new player. My Ooh. brother Tom started, created um, a character. Nice. Uh, had his first prelude adventure. Um, of course, shit got chaotic, and I botched several rolls and ended up sucking the group into like a paradox realm because I can never roll dice well. <laughs> Five out of six rolls consecutively, I failed or botched. And botching is where you have more ones in your dice pool than successes. Uh oh. So I'm talking, I'm rolling four or five ones on a 10 sider, you know, rolling six, seven dice. That's not good. It's bad. So Tom, Tom had fun though. He's into it. Um, what is he playing? Uh, he, so his character is, is a, a watchmaker that inherited like a shop from his father and when he awakens he has time magic correspondence and um matter so like constructing things and placing things in alternate times and and playing with reality and distance it's it's pretty cool concept and he's he's an academic so uh his character has studied philosophy and just this quiet kind of hermit lifestyle um so it's interesting then when that type of person mm-hmm. is exposed to this world of darkness yes. and craziness, how he's how he's role playing through that and reacting to yeah. this crazy stuff happening around him is it's pretty fun. I feel, I feel like your GM's gonna do some fun stuff with that. 
I would imagine Paul has several tricks up his sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyone else playing anything? I think that's I. That, uh, well, okay. So what are you playing? Oh, oh, uh, Josh has playing news. Emily got the game Pie Face oh. for Christmas. So we had a family game. And she used shaving face. cream or uh No, we bought cream? spray whipped cream. Okay. Yeah. It it worked out great. Um what's, what's super your, funny game. What's your career record against your daughter? Uh I haven't gotten pie in the face. What? Mm. I only played one game. Oh but and now you're done? Yeah, one, one and done. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, that might be But good. yeah, the wifey and Emily both got pie in the face and then I was like, All right, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, so let's uh, let's move on to the hobby segment of our uh, of our little show here. Hobby progress. Hobby oh, progress. Can we add like a like a metal? Hobby progress. Troy has dipped his little toes into Age of Sigmar as he. Oh, he's not dipping toes. Yeah, no, he I'm dove into the I'm, pool. I'm in the pool. I just <laughs> went pool. right up. Run, go, cannonball, Shh. cannonball. Yes. Belly flop. Uh, Two thousand and some points later, I'm fully committed. So, but it's been fun. I mean, I, I, I talked about. It. I really like the Sylvaneth models. I really, those really grab me from their look. And then I've so I've been. I almost have a whole bunch of stuff. I've at least have two thousand points assembled. Um, and then kind of half painted and then I've been working on kind of finishing up. So I got my dryads. They were my like experiment unit that I painted up. Um, just listened to Duncan basically and said, here, I'm going to use the same techniques he's doing. Um, they came out pretty cool. And so I'm actually using that very similar technique to do my Kerneth hunters. And I think I'm working on the spirit of do through, do through, whatever it's through through. Um, those are the guys I want to, I'm going to get put together because then I can use the hunters and dirt through as a vanguard unit yeah, we, and then um, throw some more stuff in there to put a 2000 point on the table. So yeah, we definitely want to get some practice games and against the Sylvaneth because I think there'll be a, a large Sylvaneth presence at, at the Adepticons GT. Yep. So fun. Mango miniatures had, uh, had some, uh, tweets about some Sylvaneth, uh, paint jobs if you're interested there was there was something and i was like oh those look really cool and it was very similar to what you were doing so i, I thought that was kind of cool but anyway yeah that's uh that's dan Heelan's 2017 army yeah i saw he had he had just tweeted out something with the just boxes <laughs> look just like my christmas because i got them just for christmas <laughs> he had a bunch yeah. like five boxes of and they're crazy that's what i did the deals at gw to buy the battle force boxes mm-hmm. and, the, and the getting started boxes that's what I did. I just bought a Battleforce They've box. They've some phenomenal combinations where you're saving <laughs> a, a ton off the if you were to buy the individual pieces. Yeah. And so I think. I mean, I think my whole army. I'm probably three hundred and some bucks. That's that's nothing really for. Yeah. Did you see GW's recent announcement? Turned a profit. Oh yeah, the first the, time um, in a long time that they have delivered a. A profit to their uh, yeah they had huge they just I think it was what was it earlier this week I think right it, that uh, their when it was fourth quarter of their business last quarter business results came out yeah so all and those everything was way up all the doom and gloom <laughs> you killed you killed your line of your game you're never going to be successful Sigmar yeah. has I think carried the uh, 
the company the last couple months. <laughs> well, I think Sigmar and then the, well, Sigmar, well, 40K is still probably their big cash cow. I mean, the stuff they're putting out for 40K and everything is good. Yeah. Plus their re-engagement with the community, I think, has yeah. just been a huge. Huge win. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's I've been um, getting on, watching their, just their Warhammer Live stuff on like Thursdays. Mm-hmm. It's so so cool just to. What's really cool is their, their Twitch channel, Warhammer TV. Mm-hmm. If you have Amazon Prime, you can do Twitch Prime. Uh, one subscription um so you can do warhammer tv as your one Un-sub- subscription on twitch prime yep. because amazon prime gives you access to that so exactly you're reading my mind it was exactly awesome. what yeah. i did because then you can look at the past that's some way yeah, to get to you the can past look at stuff. the content that's uh there. from the past couple but i weeks. might i'm I might have been at work last Thursday with Twitch running on my phone. I don't know. Oh. What? I don't, you don't have to watch it. You can don't just listen, listen, Neil, from work. You can just listen. It's yep. just like listening to the radio. But <laughs> there just happens to be, if you look at my phone, there might be video running on it. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, I've been doing much the same as Troy, hobbying Age of Sigmar, getting my um, Beast Claw Raiders, the, the ogres from the tundra of the north, ready for Adepticon. I've got in... Eight models of the twenty-two models I need for my army. <laughs> nice, <laughs> about eighty to ninety percent done. So I'm probably thirty-three percent ready for Adepticon. You've got, but you've got some time. Yeah, but you're going for a little higher um, paint level than I am. I'm basically just slightly above tabletop is my my goal. I'm doing a well, lot of uh, what's, what's tough with the Beast Claw Raiders is you've got these huge models. Like my Frost yeah. Lord on the Stonehorn is this. I mean, we're talking. Here I am using my hands on a podcast. <laughs> he's he's showing a, a little bit bigger than a softball <laughs> yeah. in his hands. Yeah, slightly bigger than a softball sized model <laughs> that um, is just a huge presence on the table. So I'm I'm putting a ton of hours into it to to make it look well beyond tabletop yep. ready. It's yeah, because it colors. ends up. It's like thirty-seven. Because right. like, like it, what ends up is every one of your models ends up being like an HQ. Like you want to make it as a, yeah. a hero type paint job, yeah. kind of. So spending a lot of time on it, I may have to cut some corners on the the rest of the army, because um, I've I've been having some real big distractions the mm. last uh, few days mm. from my my hobby progress. Yeah. Mm. Came at a really bad time. Ugh. I've been getting I've I've been getting a lot of text messages from Ty and Tommy lately um, used to be a lot of uh, lists that they you know were prepping or hey let's this is a really filthy list oh hey check out this awesome list oh this is super filthy oh and like I was getting excited I'm like oh look at this this is this is great and Tommy would even build lists for me he's like oh here here's some bloodbound lists that I, I cooked up and now the past few days has been screenshots <laughs> of world of warcraft <laughs> uh-oh oh and i'm like yeah oh and yeah. and they keep trying to entice me into it like so, so here's the thing it's uh, we're not paying for it it's free drugs <laughs> <laughs> so there's those are the best kind free drugs yeah. is still drugs <laughs> <laughs> it hurts less um there there's this this group that put together a uh private server f- um of world of warcraft version 1.12 so we're talking original release 
None of the expansions. Vanilla WoW. Um, vanilla WoW. And classic, no crazy where you level up in a day to level 100. It's 0 to 60. Okay. The nostalgia factor, getting back in, running through like Iron Forge and Stormwind City, having, you know, the deep run tram. Uh-huh. And that totally speaks to me. Like that was that was my <laughs> dude. That was my heyday. It's golden. And Tom and I, uh, he moved his computer downstairs where mine is, and we're we've been playing together the last few nights, uh, just doing the old quests, running around. Um, it, it is it is definitely hitting the nostalgia, um, striking that chord. I'm having a ton of fun, but it is horrible. Uh, how it is diverted my mm. attention from painting models. <laughs> it's eating into the hobby time. Yeah. Man. But yeah, come come join us. <laughs> the Elys- Elysium project. See, I don't have any track marks anymore. Yeah. Well, no, I was I was eight years sober. That was <laughs> eight years. And Tom has slowly been he led a like a stealth guerrilla campaign to get me playing again because he'd tell me about it. <laughs> The other night, he was telling me about the server and him and Charlie, his buddy, had got their new right. characters. I said, wait, so where do I download that? And he started telling me, I said, no, 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 no. And I left the room. I ran out of the room. <laughs> then they were playing again the other night. I'm like, oh, where do I download this? And I broke it. <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible. But yeah, come join us, guys. It's great. It's um, it's a lot of fun. Troy, how's your airbrushing going? <laughs> um, it is, as I've been... Part of when I did my Sylvaneth, I did want to break out. It gave me a reason to kind of get the airbrush out that I had bought probably almost two years ago, a year and a half ago, um, and try and figure out how to use it. So I still kind of suck at it, but it was, I use it for all my base coating. Uh, I've been playing around a little bit to try and do some of the highlights on the Sylvaneth because you can, you know, getting some of the fades and stuff like that. But I'm still like a lot of the things, still trying to work through how do you get consistent kind of you know, consistent kind of spray coming out make sure everyone small. How do you make sure you're staying clean? Cause I still run out of run into some clogs every once in a while. But I think I've, again, as you use it more, you kind of get a feel for, Oh yeah, I need to clean stuff out, things like that. So, I mean, I don't have the world's, I have a nice airbrush. I think I have a, a badger Patriot or something else like that. Like my, my compressor is not the best in the world. So, but it, for what I use it for, it, it's looking pretty good, but it's fun because you do it and I just get like, Oh, I should just airbrush this. And then you just go, <laughs> you know, you start, I'm like, I can just airbrush this train I have sitting over here. Let's play around and do so. So it is fun. It's a good, and I have a little um, spray booth in my basement too, that I've bought, I think when, when, I, when Sarah was born. So that's like four years ago with that pure, this like, Oh, I'm going to have a way to paint in the winter time here in Wisconsin when you can't do anything. And so I feel good. And I'm at least getting some use out of it and get to that. So, Hopefully yeah, I'm super a- jealous of your spray booth. Your spray booth. Yeah, if our temps stay frigid, I might have to come over and prime a few. <laughs> prime them. Yeah, yeah right. For sure. Yeah, man. So, uh, you guys been buying anything? Any Kickstarters or anything crazy going on there, gentlemen? Nothing crazy, but the other day I came home and I had this huge cardboard box in the living room that Tom had brought in, and uh, it's like, what the hell? So I open it up. I'm like, "Oh, cool, man! You're not the others. Nice. <laughs> you were the year, last one. A year later, yeah. yeah. I think I'm the last U.S. Uh, Kickstarter <laughs> did, delivery. Did they um, did they photocopy like a middle finger and then put it in the box? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I I'd also forgotten how much I had backed on the others. 
Because I, I open it up, I have the base game, I have the Omega and the Beta mm. team expand, the good guy expansions. I have all five of the extra Sin oh, expansions man. for the seven Sins, because two come in the box set, and then I bought no, the five but- others. And I also bought the Sons of Ragnarok, which is this Viking motorcycle mm-hmm. gang that is a team you can play. Um, so I, I, I've read the rules, and I looked at all this. Next time we get together, we, we definitely should yep. just give it a playthrough. Nice. Um, but... Five months after Gen Con, <laughs> when it was available for retail, and seven months after the the no. other people back the others got it, I got my right. copy. Good for you, Good buddy. Good job. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was great to wait that long for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and around Christmas, I'd also gone and picked up Arkham Horror the card game. Saw a copy at uh, our friendly local game store, Game Universe. Picked it up. Um, read through that. That should be fun. But I have to buy a second core set if I want to play with more than two players. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably do that. I heard good things about that game. I've been hearing great things. It looks really cool as far as a cooperative living card game um, where you're playing against the, the deck. So we'll have to break that out sometime too. Cool. So I talked a lot about my Sylvanus stuff I already bought. That was some probably the biggest stuff i did um the other day we have uh we i, I guess we it, it's new to us but I'm, they've been around is there's a, a local almost gaming club i'd call it bell brothers i mean they have a retail store a little bit but they're mostly just a gw kind of miniature game um club kind of store over um called battle brothers um so i went in there checked it out talked to the guys and then of course i felt like i should buy something and actually they were having like their end of year still had their holiday 20% off sale. So I grabbed the Gene Steeler cult uh, codex there just to sweet. Cause I probably could build an army out of that stuff too, that I have there. So <laughs> to get ideas of that, but I think it's also a good place that we may probably visit a little bit and see if they use them as a, another yeah. location to play at. So yeah. yeah, it's a good after work destination. If, if nothing else, yeah, game in, for sure. Or a Sunday or something. Yeah. So between GW battle brothers, BODs, Hobby Town, Hobby Town. We got plenty of places to play. Yeah, good, mm-hmm. good local okay. community. The Milwaukee, awesome gaming community. But uh, well, I think we need to fill up drinks, right? Yeah, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back with the main topic: what mechanics make our favorite games. Welcome back, boys and girls. Step into the classroom where I will give you a definition of game mechanics, and then we'll have a short but exciting discussion around the table <laughs> <laughs> of game mechanics and, and where um, where some games really nail that mechanic and it defines that game. You know, you think of it as top top of the class. I was getting really deep in here for a minute. Yeah, well, I'm I'm about to get even deeper. I found this I found this uh, definition. Uh, online today and i was i was like damn this is good i wish i could think on this level (laughs) game mechanics are rule-based systems or simulations that facilitate and encourage a user to explore and learn the properties of their possibility space through the use of feedback mechanisms it is a simple definition but it offers a good amount of insight into why games work and how we can make them better and I think that's really what we were looking for. And when we were talking about how we want to approach this topic is 
how do they make the game work and how do they make that game better? better. I think that's mm-hmm. that's so. where we wanted to come at. Although I'm I'm still kind of possibility space. Yeah. Just thought that's what that's what got me. That's I'm like, deep. wow. <laughs> possibility space i gotta use that in a sentence at work tomorrow somehow right i'm thinking about that too how how can i encourage my employees to really operate effectively in their possibility space (laughs) 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 sorry i just threw up in my mouth a little bit (laughs) so troy what um you know you want to kick it off what what's a a game mechanic and a game or games that you think really really sure so i i'll start with deck building right deck building so i think We'll give it a quick definition, right? Is where you're usually buying. Uh, you have a usually a pool of of cards out there in some kind, and you're buying those cards to pull into your own deck, and then you're using that those cards in your own deck to then play the game through some kind of actions or something else like that. It's probably a pretty poor definition of deck building, but games like um, so probably Dominion was probably the first game that really kind of broke that open. And then you had Ascension, and now there's tons of deck builders kind of out there. Um, in terms of stuff, I guess Star Realms is another one, right? That picking there. Um, so one I wanted to say, I think where that's taken deck building in a little bit different direction, and where it really makes the game uh, kind of different and kind of you know one of my favorites um, is Xeno Shift. This gives a different spin. So Xeno Shift is kind of a tower defense deck builder, I would call it. You're basically them you know whatever the marines that are fighting off these aliens that are coming down the different tower defense things to, to fight off but uh the core of it is you're buying stuff you have a big you know layout of, of grid of cards that you're going to buy weapons um equipment all kinds of things and troops they're also part of that deck that you're building to then fight each turn to go through i think what where xeno shift is a lot of deck builders kind of have this dead space in the beginning where you're all you're doing is, oh, I have no cards. I need to buy, buy, buy. Everybody goes around to get to get those filled up. Where Xeno Shift, it's really, I'm buying that my first set of cards to to go, and then I'm going right into fight. It it really kind of picks up. You don't have yeah. that dead space early, and it just kind of escalates and, from there. And I think the the key in Xeno Shift, which is cool, is it it forces you because of that tower defense where the the enemies are coming and they're going to attack and overrun you if you don't act you're punished by the game yeah. whereas you know you look at something like dominion ascension resident evil there's there's not mm-hmm. a hurry to get mm-hmm. engaged you have that time to build up and you choose when to you know interact yep. or build your machine that can go win you the game right. um, and I, I like how xeno shift the game escalates the rules yep. and how how it plays forces you to not have that dead space even if you're ill-prepared yep. you still have to try to fight the enemy off yep i so just to kind of dovetail off that uh one of the things that i like about uh games like resident evil or or things like uh, along those lines is when cards have a dual purpose so it, it's gold and it's mm-hmm. attack power you know like so it, it works in the early game when you're buying stuff and then it also works in the later game when you're you know shooting mm-hmm. or using the the weapon so um it, not to take anything away from xeno space i or xeno shift uh, i think those are great that's a great game but um yeah well like when cards have a uh, a, a buying purpose and then also there's some sort of action or something else yeah. that you know later game uh 
kind of the the dual purpose cards i think work well so yeah so along those lines i think example that would be grifters right yeah right so that again is interesting right because it's at its core it's it's kind of a deck builder um to go what what when you change that is it's there's very few cards that actually you have to do special things to actually build your deck but those are ones where the cards you're either playing them for the action or you're playing them to get to do a, a job or something else like that so i think that's yeah. again one that takes the deck building mechanic and just gives it a little shift makes it a little yeah. unique gives it something new and, and i think that's that's you know before before we kick it over to josh to see what he's got with <laughs> with uh deck builders there's there's such a a ton there's just it's it's really been a saturated mechanic mm-hmm. and a lot of people have tried to reskin the same series of mechanics mm-hmm. with a different theme it's nice to see when games come out and do something a little different with with that um you know like like grifters has mm-hmm. done like xena shifted like tyrants of the underdark by adding in other mechanics to a, a at its mm-hmm. core a deck builder so so yeah, kind of uh, playing off of a deck builder. Um, one of my favorite mechanics is card drafting, and you'll see that a lot. In so soft spot for me is magic, right? So um, there's a whole genre of magic where it's strictly drafting. Um, Blood Rage has a draft mechanic. Seven Wonders. Um, our friends at Anvil Eight have Frontline No Comrades, which you know has a draft mechanic. So um it, so uh, you know a lot of times there's uh um a draft mechanic that goes along with a deck builder um it there will some games have that and, you know some of them it's where it's a, it's a purchase thing but um yeah the, the, i really like uh card drafting cuz you're you're actually looking at and trying to evaluate what's the best card in my hand right now that i need to take either away from my opponent or to take into my hand um, to, to better, you know, better my state going forward. So, um, it, so you have you know, a lot of options as it comes around and, you know, maybe you're counting. Uh, I know Troy's picking these types of cards or I know Ty's taking these types of cards or whatever this isn't going to come back around to me so i need this card you know trying to do those types of on the fly evaluations i think is kind of cool um oftentimes there's one person that's doing analysis paralysis and you know everybody kind of harasses them a little bit like hey come come on pass them around (laughs) right (laughs) but yeah i i really like the card drafting um especially when you you're on a clock like trying to do it quickly um and uh, trying to assess those cards in a, in a quick manner to better your state in the game is is fun to yeah. me. Yeah. So I mean, right. So card drafting, we say, you know, the whatever grandfather, right? Seven Wonders is like the game is card drafting, right? Right. That, that I think what's interesting, right, is we've moved along. Now you see games where card drafting has been added as a piece of another game. So Blood Rage. Um, frontline no comrades i think it's interesting like i think they take it one step further almost where it's you'll just get these random events that'll cause a card draft which i think is funny <laughs> like, current hand. Yeah, like, right. like oh let's just all change cards um i think that kind of makes it fun and it was a kind of unique unique play on that on that mechanic um but i think that's where things have changed is rather than like seven wonders where card drafting and into like a magic draft where it like kind of that is 
your goal where we've seen it now where card drafting is becomes a piece of a larger game and, and some of that. So, yeah. And, and with card drafting, I think the, the important thing and how games make it work is that you have to have knowledge of, of what those cards are and how they, they work with the game to really make it successful. Because if you're picking cards, not really knowing the, the interplay, how they work with other cards, how they, work later in the game blood rage is a great example. example where if you haven't played it and you're looking at these cards not understanding what they mean and how they work you're you're handicapped in your ability to perform well um and and magic i mean that game is incredibly deep with depending on what format you're in and what sets are are available you have to understand the the core concepts and some games do a really great job of explaining that and i think you know um I mean, magic at its core is is the perennial <laughs> sit yeah. down, open some packs, and, and draft a deck. Um, and I think the games that do that well have clear symbols, clear direction. You know how how they relate to other cards, um, so you don't end up in those situations where somebody just has a really bad experience with it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a great point, and that is where that maybe the little bit of the downside of that mechanic is almost all the time it assumes you have some previous knowledge of what the cards are you're drafting. Mm-hmm. All right. And then when you don't, then that can, you can create some bad experiences, right? Or even like some of our early blood rage games yeah. where nobody was a mad, like that's how some people got away with the Loki strategy and just ran away with it. Cause nobody knew, like you were talking to Josh, nobody knew better to what to block. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause yeah. half of it is, it's not necessarily what I need. Some of it, sometimes it's what do I need to block somebody else from getting right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So a game like Magic, they've started doing those dual decks where you can buy a deck and start and play and get it before, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend a newbie to Magic sit down and have their first play be a draft. <laughs> um, uh, and same with Blood Rage, like you got to kind of explain the, the different strategies so a new player has, has a fun time playing as well and doesn't feel like they're out of it from turn one. Right. Yep. Um. So man, we've we've hit some you know the we're doing like foundations of game mechanics deck builders <laughs> card drafting i'm gonna go a little bit more uh a little bit more new school um a mechanic that i really like is kind of that narrative choice games have introduced story elements and they give you the player an opportunity they read a short you know paragraph and you have a choice of what to do next and that impacts the reward that you receive from from that choice and also sets the stage for other developments in the game so um one of the the big ones I played recently is Above and Below. Over the last mm-hmm. year, you have a it's eighty page booklet that's included in the game with all of these different entries, so that when you draw different cards, you roll a dice, reference where to go on it, and you have to make a choice: do you attack the caravan, do you escort the caravan, do you steal from the caravan? And it directs you in different ways. Um, and we've talked about this kind of before, like it's it's that quintessential quintessential choose your own adventure type yeah. right yeah yeah and, and i mean um i think we'll, we'll probably talk about some other mechanics about some of these games a couple times but dead of winners crossroads mm-hmm. the crossroads game yeah um where you draw a car and it may trigger it may not but when it does it's a vote between all the players or it's a choice for the one player that mm-hmm. can drastically change that yeah. turn and, and subsequent turns um, and some of the legacy games have introduced that too, like Seafall, for instance, where when you explore an island, you find something and you decide, do you push your crew to gather the, the resource 
or do you give them a day to rest and and what that what effect that has on your game so it's kind of newer i haven't seen it in a lot of old games i mean choose your own adventure sure. books and you know you've got your role-playing games where you yeah it's all about player choice um unless you have a a train conductor of a gm <laughs> <laughs> but um a couple of board games have introduced it within the last couple of years and, and done a really great job of of making that that game focus on you know the the narrative and the the player choice yeah and, and i think above and below i i would i think that's an interesting example of this right because i I think that's one of the defining characteristics of that game because if you take that out and and then it would be kind of another game worker placement, worker placement point, right yeah. and what's funny is like you can play above and below and never go below mm-hmm. as a strategy but nobody really wants to do that because the fun part of that game is let's go exploring <laughs> let's crack the right to back let's the book get the randomness right, and yeah. randomness but when you look at it you're like you know what i really don't need to go below because there's risk to going below there's mm-hmm. kind of things like that so i think that's interesting in that game of, of adding that in there because it really kind of took it from a you know kind of an average game to i think to an excellent game right really yeah. kind of fun excellent game mm-hmm. um and then after after that i'll, I'll double up double up get it yep. get it discount double check um <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's a couple of games that our, our game group has um has really gotten to the table again and again um and, and they work really well and that's zombie side and and space hulk you know one of the the flagship games of the basement of death um, <laughs> thanks to our world famous internet famous bodfather himself troy weiss um and the the core mechanic at the center of those two games on beside and space hulk is action point allowance um each player has a number of actions they can take action point allowance mm-hmm. you say three three things you can do everything costs you so many points and then your your activation, your turn is done, and the next player would go. Um, and they they become very. It, it takes what can be just a wild shoot 'em up game and adds a layer of very deep strategy in how you space out your actions and what you use them to accomplish. So you don't set yourself up for failure by blowing all your points mm-hmm. and then having the enemies overrun you. Um, and Space Hulk, I mean, Troy, I'll let you kind of expound upon that, but action point allowance and, and that very heavy strategy game. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, like the games, I think, where they, like we're talking about Zombicide and Space Hulk that take it over, I think initial blush, people think, well, this is pretty simple. These are real, you know, these rules are pretty simple. I can do it. But what's missing is like the amount of strategy that you now have. And especially like a space hulk again i'm very biased on on that right because i <laughs> i always like you know you can learn that game in 15 minutes and then you're going to spend the next 30 years like i have right just trying to perfect it trying to keep going through it because it's always kind of a, it's, it's a puzzle to solve each turn well how am i gonna do this zombicide kind of the same thing all right we got our people we have how many actions between us we have these million zombies or we need to get somewhere how do we do this right and and all the combinations there. So I, I think what's cool there is, right, it's something that's very simple, but then has a lot, adds a lot of strategy and complexity, kind of in, not in the rule, but in the, how you apply it and how, it, how you can actually solve the problem you're trying to get to. For sure. Um, one game mechanic that I, I really like, and it, I, I'll, I'll try to tie these three things together, but like kind of set collection, 
missions, minor objectives, those types of things. Like they, they seem kind of dispersed, but I'll, I'll try to tie them together here. Uh, kind of having minor goals to work towards for XP or for gold or for equipment or trying to further yourself. Um, so like Firefly comes to mind, um, having, you know, missions to complete, uh, working towards the various objectives, uh, to collect, you know, certain items or to deliver goods or into a certain place or, you know, whatever, whatever those objectives are, um, or like dead of winter objectives, you know, you get that one secret card where you might be the, the betrayer, you might not, whatever. Um, or games like Splendor, where you're you're trying to get the uh, the gem sets to complete, you know, your your gem to build towards things, kind of the smaller achievements within the overall game. Uh, so even if you don't win, you still kind of have a feel good experience, right? Oh, I, I did these ten things. Maybe I didn't win, but I I got those ten things done. So you, everybody kind of walks away feeling like a winner, even if you didn't win. So um, I, I kind of like the the minor objectives within uh, uh, the overall game. Yeah, and I, I think like you t- a little bit around. I think a pickup deliver game. So I mean, that's kind of a, its own genre and, and mechanics and itself. I guess its own genre of games. But a lot of that, right, where you can. I have a lot of fun playing those games, even if I don't win, because you, like you said, you you feel like you accomplished little things like that. So even Fireflies, exactly like that. Um, even Merchants Marauders, yeah, um, had some fun with that. And, and Zeno, uh, Z- Zaya, Zaya, Legends yeah, of Drift. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's where I was going. Is that game's built upon the the fame track, but within that, earning a title. Um, winning in combat, delivering something to, to finish missions, kind of that sandbox style game, um, you know, sim- similar to Firefly. Um, and starting to see that in, you know, in some other games, um, it's bled into Scythe a little bit with the, the achievements and games that focus on, you know, mm-hmm. within the game, there's objectives you need to score to then multiply your points or, or get more towards the, the end result of victory points. So, um, yeah, it's it's that micro, uh, you know, micro steps within the grand scheme of, of winning and how you win. The more of those objectives or sets you collect, um, ultimately the higher your score is going to be. But yeah, you can have that sense of accomplishment as you go and build and build up. Yeah, and I think I find that I like games like that better. I, I I'm not a big. I mean, everybody knows I'm not a huge Euro fan, and I'm definitely not a fan of the game where the goal is just to score victory points, right? Where you're, I'm just doing something to get so many points, and in the end, we're going around some victory point track, right, to see who gets the most. Sometimes that's that's all right, but I get tired of those games pretty quickly. Uh, I think there's ones where where you're doing something, and then those are contributing, maybe contributing to a victory point total, but getting those in-between kind of accomplishments really make a game much more enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. Totally. I agree. just want to win. <laughs> <laughs> so the next kind of big mechanic that I think there's a lot of examples of, of, of like a trader mechanic. Um, yeah. Battlestar was probably, I don't know if that was one of the first, I think probably shadows over Camelot was probably out first. I haven't played a lot of that, so I'm not. Um, BSG. Yeah. I mean, that was a, a pinnacle yep. of that. Of that, um, don't trust your neighbors. Into that, so I'm, 
where the one I'm kind of, I mean, dead of winter, we talked about a little bit, but that's one, I think the trader mechanic of that kind really of the, the kind hidden of bad guy. Right? Yeah. It kind of puts it over the edge. Plus the fact that you don't know that you have one, unlike Valsar where you know, there are traders. Um, and some of these other games, the fact that you may have a trader, I think just it puts some, it puts you on a different edge of because you're all trying to work together. To, you have to work together almost to survive each turn. It's just is there that one person who's maybe not working? They may have their own goal and they're not working as, as much with you as you think they, they should be or, or something else like that. So, And um, sometimes you're just playing with a dick. Yeah. And. <laughs> <laughs> they're not a traitor. They're just yeah. kind of harsh and not diplomatic. Yeah. And that yeah. results. Or they may have their own, right. I, I mean, a little bit, right. Everybody still has their own private or, you know, hidden objective yeah. to win, even though if they're, if they're trying to keep the, they need to keep the colony going, they may have a slightly different win condition that they're trying to get to, which may look, make them look like they're a traitor, right. <laughs> even they don't have one. So again, I think that's where I think dead of winter kind of took that traitor mechanic and kind of, you know, really put it over the top and made it there. Now, I think there's some people have said, right, I think there's some downsides a little bit on Dead of Winter with that and that a trader can really upset the balance in that game uh, if you're not, if everybody's not really on their toes and are maybe a little bit too trusting. Um, but uh, again, I think it that's what makes Dead of Winter such a great game. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's cool, too, to see it in those games where, um, you know somebody's working against a group, uh, and it's it's trying to figure out and deduce who who it is. For instance, the resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you always know somebody's a spy. Somebody's working against the group, and sometimes multiple, you know, multiple spies, and the accusations. When you know somebody for sure is figuring <laughs> out at the table who is the spy, adds a whole other element that that creates a lot of fun mm-hmm. interaction and and. Uh, discussion amongst the table and you're oh you're a spy because you looked at your card yeah. twice to tell <laughs> what your mission objective was you should have known it was this i mean um there's some games that you lose friends over and the resistance is one of them yeah. <laughs> and i think it's a good one i mean it's interesting like i'm not a huge fan of like a hidden role game like werewolf or whatever i've never been i see a lot of people a lot of people have a lot of fun with those games i've never but like the resistance because they add in other things like some of this you know, missions to go through and there's a little more structure to it. Like that's one of the few hidden role games I really I enjoy and have a lot of fun. And because <laughs> by the time you're done, right, you hate somebody. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> like John. Yeah. <laughs> We'd be doing a disservice if we didn't kind of touch on the Euro game. So kind of worker placement uh, type game. And I'd like to kind of take a little spin on it, specifically where you're trying to keep your opponent off a certain objective. So if I know Troy is trying to get to a certain spot, if I get there first and keep him off that spot, that Lords of Waterdeep is is kind of comes to mind, right? Um, prioritizing or strategizing how you need to play each turn to win, but also to keep your opponents off certain objectives to keep them behind you, right? So you know not only furthering yourself but to the detriment of your opponents so um you know worker placement is sort of a an easy mechanic but you know it's there's there's a lot of nuance to it if you if you know when you add the actual game rules into it 
Um, and, and, and I think, you know, it is a fundamental mechanic of hobby board gaming. And, and so many games have a worker placement, action, denial, what it, you know, where multiple people on a turn will need that action. And turn order becomes an action you can take to set yourself up for future success. Lords of Waterdeep does that where you can take the first player mm-hmm. token. Agricola does that where you can take, so you can guarantee Kalis, you know, all of these Euro style worker placement games have one of the actions available is you are the first player the next turn mm-hmm. um, because that choice is so necessary to scoring the points and, and building whatever it is you're building to get there. Um, and, and, you know, to your point about blocking somebody, you can be the first player and burn that action just to, you know, screw it's somebody right. over entirely. Right. Um, and, and, and that worker placement and, and that interplay, you know, you're, you're, taking a worker a token putting it on an action that resolves and gives you some benefit um resources coins whatever whatever it is yeah and i think this may i think it's one of those lines this is one of the mechanics that maybe draws the line between the ameritrash and euro gamer i think if you really like the people who really like the euro game you know euro gamer kind of mechanic uh, games are ones who are kind of appreciate the kind of worker placement act more of the action denial aspect of that and figuring out what do I need to take to keep people away and do that. I think then there's a line where people see that as a hugely frustrating mechanic to them because they're like, I can never do what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think what's interesting, a good example of a recent example, I think where somebody who's kind of, blurred that line a little bit is tiny epic western where yes you have some action denial but you can at cause as another player i can cause a combat to you try to fight for it so again that's one where it appeals to me a little bit like yeah we still have the action denial but you have another option you're not you know if you really want to do that i can push the push my luck a little bit or kind of cause some kind of conflict to make that happen. So I think that's interesting in tiny up in Western where you're seeing, again, seeing that mechanic evolve, right. To, 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 again, it purely, I think people truly appreciate it as yeah. Action and aisle is a legitimate strategy. It's, it's fun, whatever. I just think there's people who enjoy that as part of a strategy and people who think it's very frustrating. So it, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely, you have people, it's rare. You find somebody who says, Euro games, worker placement, yeah, okay. It's either you like it or you don't like it a lot of times. And I'm, I'm kind of weird in that. I'm like, I, yeah, I'll play other games. I'll play Euro games. I just, I'll play all games. And one thing I like about the worker placement where I may not be able to fight for it, it forces my brain to go into overdrive and figure out alternate strategies because mm-hmm. those games are so deep and there's so many ways to win and, and achieve that your game state and the board state, as long as you're flexible and you're willing to shift and adapt and, and really dig mm-hmm. deep to figure out what other ways there are to victory, it, it makes you think a little bit more. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas some, you know, action point allowance, you're, you're very, you're coordinating, mm-hmm. but you're stuck. You only yep. have so many choices. Um, right. Um, Oh, man, we're talking about some really good stuff here, guys. <laughs> um, I'm kind of gonna follow, you know, down the the Euro path because of my recent play. I've been playing a lot of Euro style games. Um, one of which I, th- I think 
blurs the line in a, a really creative way between Ameritrash, you know, lots of components, cool story, and the solid victory point accumulation worker placement of Eurogame is Scythe. And a way it does that is through how the resource management works in that game, where you accumulate resources through taking your actions, purchasing, producing, and then you have to determine what to do with them and, and you have to protect them and bring them with you because they're not going into a common pool. So you have to be aware of who could strike at your your stronghold of resources, you know, protected by a single mech and take that away from you. Where then all the work and all the actions you've allocated to build that up can be lost yeah. through a, a combat. Um, and, you know, resource management is a, a central tenet of Euro-style gaming. You're building up some resource, be it food, stone to build the castle, um, you know, animals and different kinds of grain and vegetables <laughs> to profit your farm and agricola. But Scythe has those four basic resources, adds the resource of currency and then the popularity mm-hmm. and power. So you have multiple tracks and, and things you're trying to gain. Um, and I've said Scythe, I think 37 <laughs> times tonight, uh, partially because I've been playing it so much, but also because what I love about that game is it takes mechanics from, so many different styles and games and combines them all into a cohesive working really beautiful mechanic um a collection of mechanics i should say to to form its rule set mm-hmm. any other uh quick quick mechanics you guys want to want to touch on that we haven't yet well i was going to finish up a little bit maybe with our we're talking about maybe just boards and cells, modular boards, pieces that move kind of stuff. That's not the classic. Here's my square kind of, uh, uh, board. I think, um, interesting, a couple interesting examples are like Zaya. We'll use that again, right? Where you're building the board up as you go along with the hexes and there. Um, one, and again, I think that makes the game unique is Ethereum. And again, we're, we may be biased a little bit. Um, of the guys at Anvil 8, but I think what really makes Ethereum different than it's not just a miniature skirmish game is the fact that is the boards and the fact that now I can kind of uh, influence the environment to change the battlefield or that it really is a battlefield, right? Um, to move things around. And, and I think that's what really kind of made that, puts that game kind of over the top and differentiates it from yeah. a lot of the other kind of just board game miniature games that are that are out there and and how dangerous being off the board is so when oh, you yeah. can when you <laughs> yeah. can shift the board yeah. and create a larger gap between two playable spaces there's that risk anytime you move through that um through that white noise that something terrible is going to happen if you roll the the wrong die um and and it can change the game drastically so budgeting your points you know the the ram that you get every turn to move the boards, rotate the boards, increase distances. It's um, it's really fun, and yeah, it, it adds a, a ton of depth to, at its core, a, a miniature skirmish game. Yeah, um, you, you think you're two spaces away from somebody, and then all of a sudden, now you're a whole board away, or yeah. you know, you're <laughs> you're twelve spaces away, right. and you're like, whoa, how did that happen? You know, like, yeah, the the board manipulation is is such a cool. It, you don't really think about uh, that being part of a game, and then all of a sudden, a game like Ethereum comes out, and you're like, "Oh, wow! I didn't even." I don't know. I, I think that's it's one of the uh, the staying factors of that game that makes it really fun, right? Yeah, I mean, so many so many games, miniature skirmish games, miniature games in general. You set up your board before you play. 
you look at the train and that impacts how you deploy that game it's it's constantly changing Mm -hmm. for sure So here in uh, the frigid north of Wisconsin, we have a lot of downtime between gaming conventions <laughs> in the winter and a lot of time to, to per- perfect our craft, hobbying, you know, working on, on games. But uh, there's there's a couple of key things coming up here on the calendar. Game Holcon just released um, the hotel blocks this, uh, this last weekend. Um, already, I think there was a flurry of activity. There's still availability. They <laughs> they're not to the point where they're selling yeah. out. Yeah, uh, on the first day. First day. Yeah, and we're t- this is mid January. Just we'll, we'll get this out soon. But is it yeah, is it mid January? Uh, well, <laughs> when we release this, it'll be mid January. Hotels opened up it's, beginning it's of, beginning of January. Icy so. out and cold. Yeah, I've lost track of the day. Um, so yeah, game game Holcon, uh, hotels. Um, speaking of hotels, uh, Gen Con fifty, um, which you may or may not see me at, is uh, badge registration coming up end of the month. Um, and then shortly thereafter, the hotel uh, disappointment, hotel disappointment tour 2017, um, Gen Con's hotel lottery. Yeah, that's the way. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, uh, Gen Con's become the Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, and we're trying to get one of the twelve gold tickets yep. or whatever, um, <laughs> just to see if we'll be thirty miles outside yep. of the city or, or downtown. Um, and that's February twelfth. Yeah, my recommendation: log on late. Uh, don't be <laughs> waiting. Um, <laughs> maybe don't even have a badge. Get your badge. Uh, that they day. say they fixed day. it, but, but I, I don't believe it. And so, oversleep. Log in late. Buy your badge. Get a hotel. February twelfth. And you'll probably have the same odds of getting a hotel room that somebody who does all those yeah. things ahead of time does. So. Right. I'm, I'm ready for Gen Con Hunger Games. <laughs> You represent your district or your group, oh, you know, uh-huh. and you, you fight go, to the death. You go into combat okay. with the other gaming groups. I like. What if you go into a true dungeon? Ooh, we'd win because we're super geared. PvP true dungeon for hotel rooms. Yeah, yeah, we'll real, do it. Real weapons. Yep. Oh yeah, real, <laughs> real weapons. Yeah, yeah, you turn in those little little the tokens, tokens, for... and they hand you a battle axe. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that works. Yeah, I'm I'm all about that. That would make it fun. <laughs> Making Gen Con great again. <laughs> um, and then uh, a little bit further out, and we'll probably talk about it so much, everybody's ears are bleeding, Adepticon uh, coming up um, kind of end of March 23rd through the 26th down in Schaumburg at the Renaissance uh, Hotel and Convention Center. Um, event registration has been hot and heavy. A lot of, a lot of events are waitlisted, heavily waitlisted oh, uh, right <laughs> now. They wait-listed. put that out. Um hotel rooms are almost impossible to find you know a couple months out from the con uh we'll talk about it a ton though in our our next episode um as a as a lead-in to the the greatest gaming convention that we go to yep um other than that guys any any last tidbits news updates funny stories anecdotes Um, jokes duncan's on twitter Yes, Duncan on Twitter. Felicia Day is having a kid. What? what? Baby girl. Doing a couple weeks. Crazy. Totally crazy. And she hid it from like everyone until, <laughs> I don't know, a week ago or something. Well, yeah. Probably not everyone, just yeah, right. normal or the general public. General public, yeah, right. General public. 
Yeah. I bet Will Wheaton knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, it's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. Thanks, guys. Somebody's breathing's picking up a lot. I don't know if it's me or... I think it was your nose breathing. You're the nose breather. Don't breathe. <gasps>